I'm going to pray, and then I'll, uh, I'll get started. We're going to record this tonight so that if people couldn't make it, they can find out what in the world we're doing this year. Lord, thank you. Um, thank you that you always know what you're doing. Thank you that you are always planning. You are so thoughtful and so intentional with our lives, even when we don't know it. Father, thank you for giving us vision. And thank you for giving us a community of believers with whom to walk out that vision. God, I ask that um, as, uh, as we explore what we're going to try to do this year and over the next couple of years, that you'd give each of us individually vision as to how we are or are not to fit into what SLM is and, and maybe what we are to fit in elsewhere or how we are to belong here and be a part of what you're doing here. We know you have um, intent and focus for each of us, and I just ask that you give us vision for what that looks like tonight. We love you. Amen. All right. Good day. Um, I'm going to be a little bit uh, informal um, in part because I, um, I just got back into town an hour ago, um, and uh, I want to share with you kind of the evolution of thought that I've had for the last um, probably month as to what SLM is, um, is going to look like and this year. So before I start to explain that, let me first tell you how SLM came to be, and that will kind of be a good segue into what I hope that it will become. So a few years back, um, there were a lot of uh, a lot of us that were all young and you know radical and ready to you know go out and um, change the world, and which is great. Is a is a really passionate group of people, and there's a lot of cool stuff that God was doing here at the time. And um, I fell sick. I fell ill for a week. And I had this weird thing with, with me and God, and um, I've learned this over the years, that I'll either get injured or ill for a period of about five days. And in that period, he'll give me vision for the next season. It's so strange. I, I, I can't explain it. I know that we don't think like illness and injury is from God, but for me, every time... And there have been four of those times over the last probably seven years um, where this has happened. And so the first time this happened, I'm sick. I, I lay in bed for four days straight, and I, someone had given me a book about John Wesley. And it was kind of a biography of John Wesley and how he started the Methodist movement. And I'm reading this book, and I'm like, oh, this is it. This is what we need. Because Wesley was traveling the country in England. England was a train wreck, um, you know, Public drunkenness was the norm, and, and Wesley actually helped pass um, laws to end public drunkenness. So it was, it was so normative that it was expected. And so it, it, was, it was even far worse than what we're dealing with today. And then when Wesley starts preaching, the Holy Spirit starts breaking out amongst the people in power. And most of them were very poor, and they really didn't know a lot about how to live, so um, reflected a lot like college students. Um, so I'm like, uh, I was one. That's true. That was true for my college experience. So um, I'm going, wow, this is it. The power of God is present. But if we don't take people from an encounter with God and into practical life disciplines, we'll end up generating people who they can do signs and wonders in the Holy Spirit, and yet their lives are falling apart. So as I'm reading this book, I'm like, wow, this is it, Lord, yes. And I come to this part where John Wesley is describing why he started, um, is, is from one of his diaries, why he started the Methodist movement. And it was basically because he wanted to have a, a group of friends with whom he could go out and this group could strategically try to bring change to their country, to the place they live. And I remember just like, oh, struck to the core that, God, you know, I want to have a group of believers. I want to be one of a group of Christians who are mature and steadfast and faithful. And this group, together, we could run and do so much good for your kingdom. And at the same time that I'm like, oh, I want this. God's 
revealing, you can't have this. You're not ready for this. There's so much maturation that has to happen. There's so much faithfulness that has to be developed. You don't get saved, encounter the Holy Spirit, have these crazy experiences, and go change the world. That's not how it works. It requires a development of a steadfast life. So SLM is born out of this week-long period and this vision that, hey, maybe someday we could be a group of mature, steadfast Christians that could, as a group, go out and do just really powerful things for God. We're seeing powerful things here on a small scale, but we had much larger vision for where that could go. So SLM is born, and we start meeting together with the understanding that collectively we're going to try to grow up in the faith together. And so SLM had accountability groups. It was very, very intensive at its, at its outset. Um, we're getting together. You're challenging one another. We're trying to grow together. And the whole purpose was the school of life and ministry. So we're, we're in the school where we're growing and learning together to try to, to grow up to see what we could become together. So over the whatever five or six years that we did this, you know, SLM ebbed and flowed. And, but um, it was almost like for me I kind of lost sight of what it was initially set out to be, which was someday we would be this group that could run together and we could really have an impact together as a group. And it had become about the discipleship. And this year... Um, you know, for a number of different reasons, I suddenly felt like, wait, I can step back. God, what do you want to do? Let's define this the way you want to do. And, and Dan gave me a word, a, a prophetic word in, in the spring in about May that I didn't understand at the time, but essentially said, God's going to take a number of visions that you've had over the years, and he's going to blend them together into one. And he gave me this word through a picture. In the picture, I didn't understand until two or three months later when he actually started to do it. And I was like, oh, the picture, now it makes sense. And, and that's exactly what God's done. So <clears throat> I got uh, injured. I, I pulled some muscles and was um, when I wasn't at work, I was laying in bed for um, three days this time. So mercifully, I must have been listening closer. Um, so I only had to give me evenings in bed. But in that period, God starts to give me vision again for what we're, what SLM is going to be. Um, so this year, the school, in quotations, is going to change its focus from training disciples, which we've been doing for the last six years, to unifying, focusing, and working as disciples. So we're changing the premise from trying to train everyone and help everyone grow and mature into steadfast believers into um, the understanding or the context that SLM is for people who have matured, who have become established in their faith, are secure, are confident who they are in the Lord. They're not um, asking doctrinal questions and trying to figure out, you know, is Jesus really the only way or... Are there other options? Um, this is for folks who have matured, who have become established, and who are ready to, as a group, collectively go out and bring about some, some change, both personally as we interact in community and societally as we affect the uh, community at large. So no longer will the focus be the establishment of steadfast disciples. We will, uh, rather, we will acknowledge the maturation that's taken place in our group and our readiness for labor. So that sounds really formal, but let me just say it like this. I feel like what's happened over the last six or seven years, how long have we been doing this? I don't even know. Um, 2009-ish. No, it's before that. I think it was 09, five or six years, yeah. So a bunch of us, we all just kind of jumped in together, and we were like, all right, let's, let's go after God. And, but we knew that we needed some accountability. We needed some one another to help each other grow. And over the course of time, a lot of us have kind of gone through it and like, yep, done the leadership side, learned leadership, become established. Okay, I've you know, gone through different life phases. 
and now there's a group who's grown up in the Lord and is like established and ready, and um, we're kind of looking around like, okay, what now? And I feel like, for me anyway, this is answering that question, what now? Um, so, obviously, this is a pretty obvious statement, but I'm going to say it anyway. The de- development of an effective life and ministry, those two are unified, is multi-phased. Okay, so um, one doesn't become a mature disciple the day after his conversion. This was, it wasn't like contrary to what we believed, we knew better, but at the same time, there's this thought that, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm radical, I'm ready to go change the world, and that's just not the reality. That's not the biblical reality, nor should it be our experiential reality. Even the Apostle Paul uh, required over a decade of preparation after he was converted. So there's the acknowledgement that we need to grow and mature. This isn't to say that, okay, now we're going to start a new phase and we're all grown up and we're not going to mature any further. That's ridiculous. If you know me for more than 10 minutes, you know I'm a giant five-year-old. So we'll continue to grow and mature, but the focus shifts from just growing up to now let's go out. Let's get focused as a community and let's see what we can do together. And when I say do together, that's not internal church activities. That's how can we bring about change in the community at large as well as in the way that we do community um, as a group. So I, I don't or didn't expect there to be a lot of folks saying yes to this simply because of there's a, there's a transition. Um, so I wasn't aware necessarily... Um, at, at the outset with SLM, but it ended up providing many of us with a stable, safe, and consistent structure in which to begin our maturation pro- process. As we've grown and matured, um, we're finding ourselves ready for a new season. So I guess I didn't anticipate that uh, SLM would end one season almost entirely. So in, if you guys remember, in years three and four, we actually formed a second class so that people that were new and wanted to come in and learn some of the fundamentals could learn that while this other group went on. And it just didn't work. Evidently, the Lord wasn't in it. So essentially, we're setting aside what used to be with a focus primarily on building disciples, which is what we were trying to do. And now we're changing the focus, and we're going to say we are being disciples, and this is how we live. So in a biblical context, it's the equivalent of us all being Jesus' disciples for the three-year period that he's on earth. You know, we're doing all this cool stuff, we're working together, but we're really learning a ton of lessons because as you see, as you reflect on the three years that these guys were with Jesus, they did so much stuff wrong that he's constantly correcting that they weren't ready to be apostles until after he's resurrected and goes back. So it's kind of like we've been going about this growing up process for the three-year period that we're with Jesus, and now he's saying, okay, I'm sending you guys out on your own. You're ready. Let's go. And they continued to learn, obviously, a lot, as you see when Paul confronts Peter, so on and so forth, but it was a change in the way they did life. Okay. So as we've grown, as this group that signed on, some in the beginning, you know, and what Pastor and I have really um, been it, just kind of like in awe of over the years, one, you have people that signed on in the beginning and were like, I'm sticking around. I'm not going anywhere. You know, opportunities abound to leave and go elsewhere. And they're like, nope, I'm signing on for this long term. And we were in awe over this. And at the same time, you have another group who's like, I don't know why, but I'm ending up in Marquette. And, you know, some wouldn't have picked it. Uh, others, it's where they've always wanted to be. But where God has brought together a group who appearingly... Uh, for all appearances, is ready to go together. So that's, um, that's how we got to this point. And what I want to share with you is kind of what I envision for the next season. I'm not going to tell you it's three years. I'm not going to tell you it's one year. I'm not going to tell you it's 15 years. I don't know. Um, my feeling is that it's a, it's a long-term sign-on. You know, if, if, it's, if I'm going to be here for six months, this might not be the group to jump into because... The feeling I have is um, 
that it's going to be something that's there, there's a commitment to it where I'm signing on for a, for a period. Just real quick before I get into this. Historically, community was something that people signed on for for the, for the long haul. It wasn't like, I'm going to go here. It's cool for a little while. Here's my, have my Marquette experience. Now I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to live in Dublin and have my Dublin experience. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to live in South America and have this experience. Um, they, people signed on for a term when they went into a community. Um, and this is hearkening back to some of those older ways. Um, tying it now, just anecdotally, um, I was traveling with my boss this week, and he's a, um, he, he's been fairly successful, I'd say. And he started out his career in Chicago. And he was, um, he, he was a higher up in a, a major bank, a global bank, one of the top three largest banks in the world in the 80s. And he was one of very few executives on this team. He's in Chicago, and he's got all these peers, Chicago people, right? And they're all climbing, fast-tracking it. They're a big deal in Chicago. And he's like, I'm leaving, pulling up, and I'm going to Marquette. And he tells me that, you know, I realized that if I really wanted to have an impact, I needed to find a smaller, maybe like a secondary market that if I went into and I stayed there long term, I could have a greater impact on this community than all of my peers could if they stayed in Chicago, even though they're a really big deal. And he said, here we are 25 years later, and my old friends from Chicago, are they can't believe, they couldn't believe it when I left, and now they can't believe the effect that we've had in the community we're in today and and what he said he told me today he said actually it's interesting he said but if you put down long deep roots in a small community you will end up being able to have greater influence in large communities because of your influence in a small community he said it's counterintuitive but it's it's the reality so this kind of harkens to that way of thinking so what i envision for the next season three things these are the three pieces like from dan's picture that he'd given me that I, that were tilled into one soil, um, which was the, the picture he had given me was a rototiller and multiple soils being tilled into one and fruit coming up, and I totally didn't understand it. Um, so thankfully, I have a good memory, even though I'm dull, dim-witted. Um, community is the first thing that I think we're going to explore at a greater depth than we've done before. We've had small groups, and our small groups were very transparent. There's a lot of vulnerability, a lot of good stuff that happened in there, a lot of great discussion, a lot of great growth. This is going to be a bit different type of community. The small groups had to have a very authoritative structure because when you have Christians who are walking through the basics, some have a tendency to contest biblical fact. Um, I'll call it fact, but biblical theology. And so you have to have an authoritative structure for a leader to be able to say, that's not in the Bible, this is what's in the Bible, take it or leave it, or take it or leave. Um, This is not going to be that kind of community. Um, The first thing this community is going to be is committed. So this is where, as a group, we're saying, I want to sign on and and I want to do life with these people. I want to... Hang out with them and their kids. I want to I wanna do life real life. Um, this is one of the things where I, I want to try to push us over a ledge. So when you do small groups and you do church, you know, like SLM has always been, you got your small groups and you got your meeting nights, and we all look pretty good. You know, even when we're being really vulnerable and we're snotting all over our, ourselves, we look pretty good. You know, like you don't have small group at your house if your house isn't clean. I mean... Maybe you do, but the one room that you meet in is actually clean, and everything else is bursting out of the other closets, other than at my house. My house is always clean. Right, honey? Um, And uh, so this is where we say we're going to take the plunge, and we're going to do real life together. It's where we're going to have meals together, and we're going to do dishes together, and you know, you're going to show up at my house at midnight and we're just going to hang out and talk until 3 o'clock in the morning because there's something that you needed to do. Just don't wake her up. Um, 
you know, I'm going to show up at your place for coffee or for lunch. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where life becomes more like you do it with family. Like this. I can go to my mom's house anytime. Okay, my mom lives, she lives about 10, 12 miles away. I can show up whenever I want. I just walk in the door. Don't have to knock. I walk in. I can take whatever I want out of the refrigerator. I don't have to ask, hey, mom, can I take this? I just walk in. I grab what I want. Same thing with my dad. He lives farther away, so I can't do it as often. But I can, I can take whatever I want out of the fridge. I can lay down on the couch. I can flip on the TV. I can take a nap. I can show up in my gym shorts. Um, so a lot of the, the um, airs that we feel like we have to put on when we do life as a church and community, we're just going to let those go. And we're going to start to cross what have been normal boundaries and say, we're just going to live together. We're going to let, let each other see ourselves as we are in real life. Because real life is messy. Real life isn't real organized. Real life doesn't have kids that always behave um, other than, again, in my house, apparently. Um, that's not true. If you've ever been to my house. Um, so... We're going to start to do life in ways that, that goes beyond what we have before. Um, we're going to be committed to one another. So it's, we're not signing anything and we're not, we're not drinking any Kool-Aid. Um, but we're going to make a commitment. And that's why I say about long term. Because one of the more difficult things about when you try to get into committed relationships with people is when they're here and then boom, they're just gone. And you, you lose them. And you lose the momentum that you had together. And so when I talk about being committed to one another, it's, hey, I want to do life with you. I want you to be a part of my life. I want to be a part of your life. What can we do together? It's going to be an intentional community. So the other thing that about Christian um, gatherings that has a tendency to frustrate me is when they're just social. We just get together, we just hang out. you know. And if we're really spiritual, we'll pull out a couple of, God conversations or questions and then, you know, but we're not, we're not intentional. We're not saying, what are we doing together? So a, a full life has to have both, right? We can't just get together and be intentional and focus all the time or we'll exhaust each other and, you know, one of us will kill the other. Um, we, you have to have both portions. And where often Christian social activity lacks is on the intentional side. We've, we're good at using each other as friends sounding boards and safe places, but at, our tendency is to forget to be intentional. We don't plan, we don't strategize, we don't organize, we don't execute, we just lack this because that's something that you only do at work. So we're going to incorporate an intentional way of life to what we're doing. Consistent is huge. Again, when I talk about commitment, consistency is a huge part of it. The no-show no attitude or the undependability, it just doesn't work, you know? For you to be able to count on someone, you have to know they're going to be there for you. And as silly as it may be, just being there consistently when you're expected to be is a huge part of developing relationships. We used to go into Bay Pines Detention Center um, way back in the dark ages, 2004, five, something like this. Five, six. And um, these kids were a mess. I mean, they were in like, this was like a maxi youth prison, right? So they're all in their own cell, and they come out for Bible study once a week on Wednesday nights when we get there. And we went there every week. You get an hour with these kids. And there's another guy who'd been involved with Bay Pines for 10 years before this. And we start telling the stories about stuff that we're seeing. Crazy stuff. These kids getting saved. I mean, all kinds of amazing stuff. And he's like, I've, I've been involved with them for years. He's like, what are you guys doing? And we were, you know, first we were like, well, obviously the Holy Spirit is working. And he's like, yeah, but I mean, I got the Holy Spirit too. We said, well, we just show up every week. And he's like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't show up every week. I wasn't going to drive down from Marquette every week. And we said, well, we did. And so consistency opens doors of relationship like few other things so we're going to be consistent. If we're signing on for this, it's going to be something that's important to us. 
Um, you know, it's funny, pastors started neighborhood groups, and, and we were on vacation um, during the week a, a week ago, and we left our vacation to come back to neighborhood group. And I told someone that, I was like, we're taking off, we're going to neighborhood group, and they're like, don't tell me you're leaving vacation to go to neighborhood group. And I was like, no, seriously, like, we signed on to do life with these people. Like, it's going to be a priority for us. And that's going to be a major component, that consistent priority, that this is something I'm committed to. Um, Josh had a great question for me a couple weeks ago. He's like, you know, you got differing times and differing nights for this. He's like, are you sure that's the best decision? And it's a great question. And no, it's not the best decision. It's a horrible decision, really. I mean, right? And we were talking about how this is, this is not a good decision. People need consistency. And I just said, but in this case, if we need consistency to remember it, that person's probably not ready to be here. This is something that I think we're going to be thinking about. It's going to be something that's important to us because what we're doing goes beyond just getting together to hang out or listen to some guy flap his gums for an hour, which is what I've always been doing for the last few years. Um, so consistent, commitment, priority, and selfless. So this is the other part where I and you and we will have to together sacrifice things that we could have done elsewhere, outside, other places to invest with one another. It requires sacrifice. It requires selflessness. But that's where community is found. That's where real life happens is when you forsake things that you wanted to do or you could do that were maybe pleasure-oriented for the sake of being with this community committed to it. So it's not, nobody's drinking any Kool-Aid, but that's the, that's the nature of the community. So we're going we're gonna to deepen the level of community that we shared as a group. And I, that's why I think it's going to be a smaller group because it's pretty difficult to do that with 40 or 50 people. Number two. So the first one is community, deeper community. Number two is action. And I have strategic action. So what do I mean by that? So <clears throat> once a week, or I'm sorry, I have a schedule here, but every other week, so this is a Thursday. It's the first Thursday. Next week, rather than coming here and listening to me yak, um, we're going to meet on Friday at my house. It's going to be Friday evening. We're going to meet, and it's going to be like a strategic discussion and prayer. It's going to be focused, so there are going to be some things that we, you know, these are the things that we're going to discuss, but we're going to get together. I don't know if we're going to eat. We'll have to figure that out, and as uh, a deep, committed, selfless community, we'll probably, you know, all pitch in and supply food because we never eat without food here, which is fine. Um, I'm really good at that. Uh, so we're going to get together on Friday nights, and we're going to spend some time what are we going to do together? So this is a major shift where SLM was a lot of, um, you know, we were teaching and we were learning and we were growing and we were in the Bible and you had a leader come with spiritual stuff. This is going to be much more um, who's got an idea for things that we can do. So I obviously have a number of ideas, some of which were in the newsletter today, a couple of which I'm going to share with you tonight. Um, but it's going to be a group that we say, what are we going to do together, and how are we going to do it? We're going to pray together. We're going to discuss things. We'll talk about life issues. But largely, this is the, this is the strategic planning session for this group, this community. This is where we get together, and we say, how are we going to do blank? And, and you look at me, and you say, I want to do this. How, are you, how is this community going to help me do this or us do this or are we going to do this together? So to do this, it requires a lot because it's going to be discussionary. That's a, I made that word up, um, but you can use it. It's discussionary in nature. So we're going to get together and we're going to have group ideas, group thoughts, discussions. So how many of you guys have ever read book, uh, Lincoln's book, Team of Rivals? It's great. It's awesome. It talks about Lincoln's cabinet and how he put it together. And he took all these guys who disagreed with him on basically every major issue, and he put them together into one team, and it was his cabinet. He had people quitting like every other week. He had to talk his secretary of defense 
into coming back on because he actually handed in a, a letter of uh, resignation. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Because why? Because if you have groupthink, you only have the thought power of one individual. If we all get together in a room and Adam starts talking and we all, uh-huh, yep, yep, okay, Adam, whatever you want to do. We're only as great as Adam can make us by himself. But when you have 12 people get together in a room and Adam throws out a thought and I go, hey, that's a great idea, and what about this? And he goes, well, no, not, let's not do that. Let's do this. And all of a sudden, we start to grow our capacity for what we can accomplish as a group. So that requires some things of the individuals that function this way. We can't have people walking out every other week and bailing because somebody didn't agree with their idea or somebody didn't think that their idea was the right idea. It's got to, that's why we've had to come to a place of maturity, steadfastness. There will be disagreements. There will be times where you're so frustrated with me or somebody else that you may leave and you're like, I'm never going back there. And two days later, you're going to call and you're going to say, I wanted to kill you two nights ago, but... You know, we're committed to doing this and blah, 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 okay? It requires open, honest dialogue, but it requires uh, an ability to not be offended when you're doing community, when disagreement arises, when someone tells you no, when your idea isn't taken, right? It requires a maturity. Disagreement is very healthy. It's very healthy. It helps to shape and form better ideas and better thoughts. I have two little notes on this. If you can't trust that the group is for you, even in disagreement, this might not be for you. Because there are going to be times where we're getting together and we're talking about stuff and I throw out an idea and somebody's like, it's not going to work. And if I can't handle that or I can't defend why it will work without getting angry, we're not going to be able to continue to go on together at depth. But we're meant to be able to. We're meant to be able to disagree. We're meant to be able to say, "Mm, that's not really the best way to do it. Why don't you look at this? And you to tell me the same thing. And we go, hey, yeah, you're right. There are going to be a lot of times where I have these great ideas because I have hundreds of them a week. Great ideas. And they'll never work. And I think they're going to work. And I could sell myself a ketchup popsicle wearing white gloves. And and then someone comes along and they're like, that's never going to work. Did you think about this? And I'm like, no. And then you go and you either reshape it or you find a new idea. And um, it gets dangerous when you start to take your ideas as though they're you and, and you hold them too personally. You know, ideas aren't you. And if an idea is rejected, that's not a rejection of you. It's a rejection of an idea or a concept and just let it go. Um, so this also requires the development of trust. You know, you can't necessarily get a people together, uh, people together in a group, throw them into a room and say, argue for two hours and then expect everyone to come out being BFFs, you know. Like, we've got to grow in relationship together, but we've also got to do it understanding that there's going to be some disagreement and there's going to have to be growth that way. And under discussionary, um, I have communication is uh, has to be focused on generating the best strategies, plans, and results. Communication isn't just to make us all feel good. Communication is to generate the best results. Okay? Everybody communicates differently, right? Everybody communicates differently. We all have our own ways of communication. But communication is to generate strategies, plans, and results Right? And we do it in the most honorable, respectful way that we can. But we understand that there are going to be misunderstandings, misperceptions, and there has to be an underlying trust in the group and a maturity to be able to believe the best even when you're wanting to feel offended. All right, so it's focused, it's discussionary. There's going to be st- strategic development. Okay, we're going to get together and we're going to say, here's a topic. What are we going to do? Right? So I'll take the blame for this, but when was the last time we got together in a group and said, all right, we're Christians, and you want to change the world? I want to change the world. I want to change the world. Let's go change the world. 
Roar. Leave. I better find someone to pray for or tell about Jesus because that's the only thing I know to do. Because that's really the only strategy that we've ever been taught, right? I mean, essentially. Personal evangelism. And we're great with personal evangelism. And we don't want to stop that. We don't want to stop praying for healing. And those are great pieces. But there's more to the strategy than just personal evangelism. So we're going to develop strategy. And I'm going to talk to you about a couple of things here in a couple minutes. So when I say we're going to develop a strategy, that means that we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about things that we can do in an organized fashion with a concerted effort that the group takes responsibility to execute. So rather than sit down and say, let's go end abortion, or let's uh, go rescue Africa, and then we all just wander around trying to figure out how we're going to do that, we're going to actually say, how can we do this here? What can we do in our community? What can we do as a group? Because you don't change the world. You change one community at a time. You have an area of influence, and that area of influence is where you are placed. That's the only thing that you can affect. You, you, how many of you have influence in China? You do in prayer, so everybody should raise their hand. But how many of you have personal influence in China? Okay, so I want to see China transformed, although they're probably Christian-wise in better shape than we are, but... Let's just jump to North Korea for a minute, and we'll say we're talking about North Korea. I want to see this country transform, but I don't have any personal influence today. So I have to exert the influence I have where I have it today. And if I do that, we're going to trust that God's going to open up new avenues of influence, new spheres of influence, and new places that we can exert our influence and affect change. So we're going to be strategic where we're located. That's the key to community. We're going to do some things in places that we're not located. But the strategy is going to be localized. We're going to plan. We're literally going to plan. I don't know if we're going to use a whiteboard, but we're going to plan. And we're going to come up with a way to go about doing some of these things. Um, it was really cool. A few years back, we went to a, a town about 45 minute, miles away. And we did a three-day, basically, like an outreach. But it was strategic. It was planned. Two people ended up coming to the service at the end and getting prayed for after three days of going door-to-door in this community. And I'm not saying that we're going to go door-to-door, but this was a strategic. It was planned, and it was executed. And that's how we're going to do stuff. We're going to strategize. We're going to plan it, and then we're going to execute it. We're going to do it with wisdom. We're going to do it with a long-term, persevering perspective. Okay. Um, So I'm going to share with you guys some specific ideas. But first, I'm going to talk. You you guys know I've talked a lot lot about William Wilberforce and these guys who have affected significant change in their, you know, in their lives and their spheres of influence. John Wesley's another one. Lincoln was another one. Obviously, hugely influential in changing the culture. I'd love to be one of these guys. You guys? I mean, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. Um, but these guys understood that this does not happen overnight. You know, and, and we've talked about the Stockdale paradox where you understand that this is not going to end quickly. And it's probably going to be painful. And it's probably going to be hard. And it's, there are going to be times that you just want to give up but you're going to maintain hope because you know that if you persevere in the long term, you'll be victorious. And that's what these guys did. And many of them, it took them decades to accomplish what they did. Lincoln, you look at what he endured. He went through this massive war that split the country for a cause. No matter what the history books that you're reading are saying, he was doing this to put an end to slavery. Wilberforce. 48 years, almost five decades to see slavery ended. It's remarkable. But they signed on, they had a long-term vision, and they executed a strategy that could take place over decades continuously trying to increase and gain ground. 
You don't change a culture overnight. God can in revival. But he'll also partner with us and allow us over time to bring about change to the culture, to our society, our community, whatever you want to call it. So here's a few ideas. Just These are three just ideas that I have coming into it that I want to discuss. I'm assuming that many of you have two, three, four, five ideas of your own that you've been thinking about that you want to discuss as well. First idea that I have is missions. So over the last few years, we have talked um, as a church about organizing a group and sending this group over to another country to serve for a period of time. Um, you know, like a few weeks, a couple of weeks, three weeks. Most people are limited, constrained by work and school schedules, how long they can actually get away. Um, so one of the things that I want to do as a group is I want to sit down and say, okay, guys, how much can we fund together to send us somewhere? Where do we want to go? We pray as a group. Everybody comes back. I got Kenya. I got Egypt. I got Ethiopia. I got... Over here, you start to sort it out. Okay, this is where we're going to go. Okay, now we plan it. Okay, it's not going to happen in 2015 because we've got to raise funds for it. Let's look at 2017. This is what it's going to cost to do it. This is where we're going to go. This is the group we're going to partner with. This is how long we're going to stay. This is what we're going to try to accomplish. This is what we're going to teach them. This is what we're going to leave there. And you back all the way to today. What do we need to do today to get to there? June 2nd, 2017, where there's 12 of us going over to whatever country we decided on. And I'd like to do that every year. Just take the group to another place and invest two, three, four months, or two, three, four weeks into a specific community. Um, I just finished a book called The Insanity of God, um, in which this guy who's writing it describes his own experience in Somalia and then he describes how he toured China and all these other closed countries where Christians are being persecuted, you know, Muslim countries, you know, all around the world where they're just under brutal experiences. And he interviewed believers. And he tells their stories. And he, he, um, he gives great direction to anyone who would consider going and serving uh, on a missions basis. And uh, some really incredible ideas that way. Second thing, adoption. So a few years ago, we had someone come in here and talk to the church about foster care and adoption, and 12, 12 families, yes, we're doing it and get prayed for, and we're going for it, and one family you know, has so far gone through with it, and that's not to shame 11 families. Um, that's to say there are 11 seeds that were sowed that weekend that I think are starting to bear fruit now. And one of the things I want to do is get, um, we have a relationship with um, the DHS and a couple of other foster agencies. A lot of times to do foster care, you have to, uh, or to, to adopt, you have to become a foster parent. So we get licensed as a group. And this guy, um, he's the head of the, Department of Human Services in the northern Michigan, and he said that he could send one person in to train however many families we had ready to do it and do it in an intensive way so it didn't take months and months and months. And I'd like to get a group of us licensed and ready to do some, to do some foster care um, or to do some adoption, um, things like that. Because I want to end abortion. That's one of the things I'd like to do. That, that's with a full stop. Um, and I'd like us to be a part of that. But if we do that, that means that each year there are hundreds of thousands of children nationwide that need to be taken into a home. Um, in Marquette County in 2013, there were 23 children that would have needed to have been taken into a home. There were 23 children that were aborted in Marquette County in 2013. Last year, there were 46. So in Marquette County... Last year, 46 kids would have need, should have been placed in a home. And so I think as a group, and I think we're going to try to leverage some of our relationships with our churches, we need to position ourselves to be able to start to take in those kids uh, into our homes because we're also 
going to be exerting an effort to see abortion ended. And I don't want to just end it and then, you know, somebody else has to deal with the kids. We'll do both. Um, so ideally for me, um, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily want to, I don't want, I don't want to adopt 30 more kids. Like I just don't, I'm just too selfish. Um, and what I'd rather do is, um, partner with the mom. So in doing quite a bit of research of late, um, about 70% of abortions are because of a circumstance. Um, uh, youth, the, the mother thinks she's too young. She's not ready. She's still in school. She doesn't have enough money. Her relationship is not in a good position. Uh, and then actually on the other end, there's a lot of abortions that are happening because moms think they're too old. I don't want another kid, so on and so forth. But when I realized that this number of abortions were happening because of circumstance, I thought, hey, if we were to intervene for a period of, say, three to five years and say, we'll partner with you, we'll raise your kid, have the baby, let us raise the kid, you stay involved, we'll work with you and help you prepare for motherhood and fatherhood, hopefully, and then when you feel ready, we'll help you take the child back. Let us, let us intervene, let us help you get there. The reality is a lot of people are going to say, I don't want the kid at all. I don't ever want the kid back. Okay, then we'll take him or her permanently and provide a place. But ultimately, I'd rather if we could work with the parents and get them to let us have the child, raise it until they're ready, feel they feel that they're ready, and then move the child back into home. Um, so, which brings up the topic of uh, abortion. One thing I've learned over the last few years is we have a lot of means because of the type of government that we have by which to be influential. But as far as my experience, I wasn't aware of most of the means, uh, most of the avenues, let's say, to bring about change. Um, so I've learned a lot about that stuff that I hope to share where I think we could be a lot more effective. Basically, the only thing I'd ever known that you could do was, you know, preach about it pray about it, and petition against it. And that's it. And by petition, I mean, you know, stand outside with a sign and protest. But there are many, many, many other ways to be influential with your government. Abortion is not a political issue, right? It's a life issue. It's a humanity issue. It's a created in the image of God issue. But to bring about change, we have to use political avenues, political means while we have them. And there are a lot of them that we can use that I don't think we do. And maybe I'm being presumptuous, but I'm just going to do it anyway. And I, I don't think we know how to go about bringing change politically. And we're going to spend some time talking about how we can do that. And I really think that there may end up being um, a situation where someone from our midst ends up getting involved in the political system. So um, just that's one other thought. So those are just three quick ideas. I'm sure you guys have um, others, missions, adoption, abortion, or three that I have. To get to the last point, and I'll be quick on this one because it's the shortest one, is sustainable. So over the last six or seven years, we've been talking about sustainable lifestyle, a life that's healthy. Um, it's, it's healthy in every environment. And um, it's sustainable. So in other words, it's not necessarily dependent on um, outside sources for food, so um, food, water, etc. You know, like I remember a pastor talking about looking at his fruit and trying to find one that actually came from our continent when he was, you know, looking in his refrigerator and vegetables that are coming from thousands of miles away. And that doesn't make us very sustainable when we require food to be imported from us from literally thousands of miles away. So the sustainable idea is that we would learn ways to, as a group, cooperatively produce for ourselves to consume. Um, to do so, it has to, there has to be some selflessness. It's got to be organized, and it's got to be cooperative. So um, we're going we're gonna to 
explore some methods of sustainability. Since we've been doing it for so long, I think we pretty well have a pretty good idea of how it works for most of us. And what I think is going to end up evolving this third piece that's sustainable is going to end up being where we're, we're doing things to benefit one another. You know, one week we're going to Josh and Randy's house and we're working on something that they have need of, whether it's, you know, renovating a, a, a dining room or, um, you know, cutting firewood. And then the next week we're going to, you know, Micah's place and we're running tap lines. Um, and the next week we're at Adam's house and he's just feeding us, um, you know. So where there's a shared uh, investment of labor for the benefit of the whole group. Um, and how we're going to practice this is um, one Saturday a month, we're going to get together around noon or at noon, and we're going to spend a few hours together as a group, and the Tuttles are going to be involved, and we're going we're gonna to learn some ways of doing things. We're going to do it in a hands-on environment, so we're going to find somebody's property to do it on, either at my place or their place or Kasten's place or somebody who's got uh, the space and the, the stuff to do it, and we're going to learn how to do some stuff. And um, we're also going to spend some time sharing a meal and just kind of hanging out and letting relationships grow and deepen. Um, and that I feel like that's going to be a key part. Um, we're going to learn a lot. But I also think that that's where we're able to kind of spend some time together. It's not strategic. It's not driven. But we're just getting to know one another. And again, it requires commitment because relationships form over time. The depth of relationship forms over time. People coming in and out of life, you've got these great moments, and then they're gone, and you're left with nothing again. So these three different meeting types are very intentional in hopes that the depth of relationship that's shared by the group grows, increases, and that there's a richness of life that's found um, that wasn't there before, as well as an effectiveness for what we're doing as a whole. So... That's all I've got. Uh, does anyone have any questions? There's a lot of this, obviously, that's um, still to be still to be found out or um, you know explored together. But that was my best uh, one-shot overview. Um, one of two choices, I would either say do connections, um, because, uh, you know, that's obviously for the last few years been a great, a great, um, asset for, for relationship formation and biblical study, or I'd say, um, do you know where you're going afterward? Are you sure you're leaving? You know, maybe you, maybe you're not to just finish school and take off because, uh, probably like two dozen, two dozen other students have finished and stayed before you. So have you heard from God where you're going next? And if you know you're staying for a year and then you know you're leaving and you really want to do this, I'd say do it, but let us know up front, I'm going to do this for a year. We're not going to plan a lot around you if you're only going to be here for a year, um, but you're going to be a participant and hopefully you can glean some things that you can take into your next set of relationships. Questions? Yeah? Hmm? We're going to have it. Yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, she probably does, but she's probably up here and the rest of us around here. So here's how we're going to try to do. We're going to try to have child care for probably two hours on Friday night so we can discuss and pray, and then we'll let whomever go home, and then we'll let the kids, um, case in point, be involved from that point on. So the goal is to um, 
the goal is to be able to have good discussion, good prayer, focused, strategic, but not completely leave the kids out of it. We try to bring them in at the end so that it's something they look forward to. I had a really cool conversation with a friend this week where his, his parents' parents were part of something not like this, but that they were committed to as a part of their church. And his dad hated it because as kids, they didn't get anything out of it. All they knew was that one night a month or whatever it was, they were losing their parents. It didn't matter what was going on. Their parents were gone. And I said, my goal is to do this with our kids. So for us who have kids and for others, as kids come into the picture, I want our kids to be a part of it. The reality is, as you mentioned, most of them aren't ready. Uh, so we're going to have a couple of hours of child care. We'll send the child keepers away, and then we'll let the kids join and be a part of the, the interaction that happens. I'm assuming there's no, like, you know, I'm not, it's not 6 p.m. till question mark, but there's not an end time. Um, so we'll probably be focused for a couple of hours, and then I'm assuming people are just going to be hanging out. That's the plan. So from about 8 p.m. on, the kids will be around and involved. And um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good night owl. Any other questions? No. Letting you know about what? Hmm. I have a schedule, my friend. But we will, I'll make sure to get everyone's phone numbers so that we can, you know, or email addresses or smoke signals for Micah. And uh, we'll, we'll signal one another um, if things change. This is, th we've, Randy helped um, look at the schedule, had some good pointers. Pastor looked at it. The schedule's gone through a few different revisions it's pretty solid but the reality is it may change you know probably I gave it to Allison but I have schedules for you the Saturdays will probably we'll probably eat at our house we'll probably use the Tuttle's land for a few of the things and maybe Caston's land if he's got some stuff that we could do for him maybe Bill's but for like eating a meal We'll do it at we'll do it at our house on these Saturdays, just so um, we don't invade Jerry's house or the cabin. Eight. <laughs> um, so, good question. So the the two the reason that I did um, instead of having the the discussion on a Thursday night that we're doing it on a Friday night is so that it's less formal. Nobody feels like they have to leave. If you want to stick around all night and hang out and sleep on the couch, you know, we've got extra beds. I mean, like, seriously, that's the intent is that it's, it's more of an informal environment. It's more like, you know, sharing life in the home. I got a couple of really crazy ideas that I'm going to talk to you guys about too, but I think Dan's the only one who knows. <laughs> Oh, I told you guys. <laughs> so, um, schedules are here. Anybody else have a question? I'm pretty excited, personally. I think I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to some of the missions type stuff and seeing what we can come up with and where we can go. And just so you guys know, like, I hope to take the kids if we go. So it may have to be like a few years out. But I want my kids to grow up understanding that other people live differently. Other people have different needs. They're not necessarily going to serve in the same way. Um, but I, I want them to be able to participate. So when we're considering where to go, those things will be factored in. I'm not going to take uh, a group of kids into a DMZ. Um, you know, it's going to be a, a place that uh, it, it makes sense, you know, for, for the little ones to be able to go. Um, we are going to have a class here every other week, so 
next week is going to be Friday night in my house, as you'll see when you get the schedule. Uh, and then the following week will be on a Thursday night. And on Thursday nights, we're going to talk about things that as a church we've um, concluded, we think are maybe some of the better ways to do life. So up until now, SLM has been strictly, you know, biblical. The Bible says this, 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 and this. We're not getting away from what the Bible says. Um, don't, don't look at it that way. But what we're going to get into is these are some of the things that we think uh, are choices that we have to make given the, the type of um, the, the cultural circumstance in which we live. I'll say it like that. And so on, on Thursday nights, every other week, that's what I'm going to talk about. As Water's Edge leadership, this is kind of what we think. And, and I'll tell you when it's my opinion, and I'll tell you when it's the church opinion. But these are the things that we think make sense for life. It's not if you don't do this, you're being kicked out and ostracized. But just like this is what we think, this is why we think it, and this is why we think you should consider it. And it's up to you what you do with it after that. He's got a book, Foundational Truths, so there's all kinds of foundational things, our, our statement of belief, it's all in there. And then there's a lot of other stuff that he has in there about just like better ways to do life, and that's some of the stuff that we're going to explore. We're not trying to create a cult, but um, it's just for the sake of sharing, like, this is what we think is the best thing for you. You can figure it out for yourself, but I'll tell you what we think and why we think it. Like wearing a motorcycle helmet. That's, you know, what we think as a church. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's something I've, I've been thinking a lot about. I think if you feel like, someone would make sense for this tell them you know if somebody's interested and you don't think it would make sense for them you can tell them too you know kind of like this group like I said you guys know and you guys have a pretty good idea of what it's going to be about and hopefully it's hit some things in your heart and so if you're talking to someone you're like you just you need to do this have them come you know and, and check it out and get involved um, you know I I think it'll be great to have new people come in and get involved. What I want to avoid is having people come in and stay for a little while and then leave like the revolving door. So I guess if you're talking to someone and you feel like maybe not the best thing for them, just tell them, hey, you know, why don't you just, you know, um, think about it for a while or, you know, do this and then come back in a year or when you're really sure this is what you want to do. So I... I really don't expect it to be a huge group. That's okay. You know, that uh, we're not looking for numbers at all. Um, we're we're going to look for depth. We're going to look for, um, you know, great relationships. And we're going to look for effectiveness as a group. So you're, uh, as Adam can attest, you know, in, in military operations, they don't send battalions in for, you know, these special operations. It's small groups that are often the most effective and impactful so um, when when Wilberforce was a part of the uh, ending the slave trade there were eight of them you know that they, they lived together and this they basically bought a bunch of property around each other they all had you know scads of money and so they built these you know measly mansions around each other but they just said we're gonna go do life together and while we're doing it we're gonna just end the slave trade and so they did um, but there are eight of them that signed on together and uh a couple of them died because they got old because it took so long. Uh, but these eight folks were part of ending slavery in, in England and obviously then in the States. Um, but the 48 years they spent together. So it's pretty cool. Another question? What? Char, you're like 33. Close enough, Nancy says. Um, if... If somebody's interested and you don't feel like you can, you know, tell them, I think, I think everybody who's here knows enough and has an idea. And, and plus, you guys are going to shape it and define it a lot that are going to do it. Um, but 
you can you can just send them my way if they if you don't feel like you're doing a good job. You'll do a good job. Anybody else? Have schedules if you want them. Um, Jared's got this recorded, so that's another thing. If somebody asks you about it, you can send them to the uh, website and the podcast, and they can listen to it themselves. Yeah, and if I can get your phone numbers, if um, if you're going to do it, just let me get your phone number so that we can stay in touch. And if schedules change or things get um, weirded out, but hopefully we can stick to this pretty closely. We checked out church conflicts and other conflicts as much as we could, and we felt pretty good about it. So, And we were even off for Thanksgiving, but you can come over if you want. All right, I'm done.